I'm Theo. And I'm Juliet. And this is Apologies Accepted. We offer an entertaining look at some of the big issues in history by examining public apologies of the famous and infamous. We're looking at politicians, serial killers, actors, and you. Send us a public apology you would like to make, and we'll read it on the air and give you a chance to redeem yourself, or just get some guilt off your shoulders. We're here for you. Once a week, maybe more if you're really, really sorry. Apologies accepted. The, the podcast. podcast. And I'm not Theo. And I am not the glamorous, intelligent, and worldly Juliet. Not everyone can be glamorous, intelligent, and worldly, but you come pretty close. Well, the glamorous part I have down. I am wearing Absolutely. the finest t-shirt today. and It's the globe, right? I can't really see. Yes. Does it, it say anything underneath it? No, it it's doesn't have cool. to. It's the globe. <laughs> it says it all. It's the whole world. I love it. It is glamorous. Um, and you're in your closet, which is extra glamorous. <laughs> you're right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm in the kitchen, which is also super, super glamorous. We're in the two so. best rooms of the house, being the best people ever of all time. Absolutely. This is so Not annoying. It. People are going to hate us. <laughs> um, so, uh, what's shaking bacon? What? Not a lot has happened this week because it has been work, 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 work. But um, I take my dog to daycare, with, and they call it daycare. Yeah. Um, I used to call it play care, but it's, which is cute, right? That's yeah, cute. it should be play That's care. That's a great name. Yeah, yeah, thank you. Well, I'll pick that back up. You uh, should. But I've, anyway, so whatever. I, I take him to daycare and then um, twice a week so he can burn out his energy. And then I... I'll get a coffee or I'll get a Red Bull. And so I went um, to a 7-Eleven and it was, I don't know, 7.30 in the morning, right? Early, but not crazy. And uh, I was the only person in there when I walked in and the uh, very nice, very short, older lady behind the counter. Uh, like our age? Uh, even older. <laughs> Even even older, uh-huh. um, and it clearly an, an immigrant, um, right? Um, English level, not not awesome. Um, it sounds awful. I'm not being judgmental. I'm just trying. I'm just painting this picture because of this thing that happened, right? So you have this this woman who's behind the, and I don't know. Maybe she owns the Seven Eleven. Right? Yeah, she might. They're franchises or whatever, right? She, she. I, what do I know? I don't. I don't know anything. Um, but she was all by herself. Is my point? Okay. Okay. And older and small. And I'm gonna give her a bowl and I go to the counter. And here you go. You can pay for it. And uh, the door opens because it's a Seven Eleven and it's a store and people walk in. And this guy walked in, dressed from head to toe like an archer from the 1700s. Right. Wow. But he had a cowl over his face. So he had like oh, a no. hood up. And it was, of course, he's dressed all in black. And and we're going to say not very hygienic. Oh, there's, no. there's a nice word. And, uh, it, and I do not know where he thought he was. I do not know what world he thought he was living in. Uh-huh. I, I cannot tell you anything. But when uh-huh. I say dressed like an, an archer, I mean, he had bows and arrows in a what do you call those those packs that hold them uh, trapped on his back a 
quiver? He was dressed like, thank you, a quiver. He he was a quiver with his quiver. He had a quiver. <laughs> and dressed like fucking Robin Hood, right? Yeah. I'm going to say clearly uh, not, not mentally well. Yeah. I'm struggling with some words there. Um, and the vibe changed immediately from, oh, just a normal transaction to, is this guy going to pull out a gun and shoot us? And the woman behind the counter kept staring at the man who was on the other side of the counter. And I don't know what he was doing, right? Because uh-huh. uh, there were like these lotto lottery machines kind of on the counter in the way. So they blocked half of them after he walked into the store. So you could just sort of see the top portion of, of his shoulders up to his head, um, which again was all covered completely by a hood. And... And I really had the feeling that this is where I die. It started oh, no. to dawn on me that I have to make everything drama. Yeah, yeah. Right. It can't sure. just be like, oh, poor, crazy, homeless person who wandered in off the street who got a hold of a costume somebody threw. I, I don't know where the outfit came from. It looked, if threw it in the washing machine. It'd be like pretty, pretty cool looking. Um, and so... I was done paying and I was just standing there because I didn't want to leave this poor woman alone. And just like the, 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 it wasn't fear. It wasn't hatred. It wasn't anger. It wasn't even a look of like, Oh God, it's Joe again. It was none of that. It, it was just, I can't even tell you what the look was. Right. Um, but it was not a good, happy, safe looking look. Right. Right. And so I stood there and, um, and she very quickly, put her eyes up to me, right? Because I was standing there for like 30 seconds. When I say yeah. stood there, it wasn't like, oh, a beat for 10 seconds. Um, and so, you know, I caught her eye, of course. Yeah. And I nodded at the guy who was not looking at us. He was looking down at whatever it was he was doing on that side of the counter. Right. And uh, she shook her head no. And then just at that same point, these two construction workers came in and I was like, I'm out. <laughs> and I left. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, that was nice of you to stand there. I mean, I would have been like, I'm leaving. I wouldn't even have had a thought for the cashier. Be- well, I'll make a joke and say, like, if I move, then I become the prime target, right? <laughs> and so I'm going to make it sound like, oh, I was standing in place to preserve myself because that's sort of funny. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the truth is, I'm America's hero. Nay, the Globe's hero. The Globe's hero. Absolutely. Yeah, so you saved that woman's to, life. Totally. I, I saved that woman's <laughs> life. Hooray for me. Wow. What'd you get at 7-Eleven? A Red Bull. Oh. <laughs> you were not listening to my story. I Sorry. started off with. <laughs> I missed that part. I was too busy thinking that you must have gone to Panera. If, if, if you were getting, if you get Red Bulls, you must be going to Panera. Oh, no. But, no, 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 Where no, do you no. get Red Bulls? Uh, 7-Eleven. Or, 7-Eleven big secret, everybody. Bulls? 7-Eleven? Yeah. Red Bulls? Oh, I thought you said a bread bowl. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I didn't know that oh, you got a Red Bull. Oh. <laughs> Who gets a bread bowl at 7.30 Seven in, the in the morning? morning. I was <laughs> I was like, oh, they do things differently in Texas. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it's a breakfast bread bowl. I, I, don't, I don't know. know. Yeah. No, caffeine, ultra-concentrated with a lot gotcha, of sugar. Red Bull. Yes. Um, <laughs> and so, I forgot, oh yeah, so where do I where do I get a Red Bull? And I'm <laughs> going to tell you, Home Depot has them 
pretty cheap compared oh, to the 7-Eleven. Okay. So That's if you cool. can get to Home Depot, you can get Red Bull for 50 cents to a dollar less than at 7-Eleven. There, America, let out a secret. I'll keep that in mind. As as you should. Where do you get uh-huh. your Bread Bulls? <laughs> Fisherman's <laughs> Wharf, where else? <laughs> oh, I bet they're good there. That's probably like they, clam chowder they and stuff. Are. It is clam chowder. I mean, it's a t- total touristy thing, but I, I suppose it's good. Um, there's a there's a chain that has them that you can get them like on, at least they used to have a, one on Market Street and there's one out in the Sunset or the Richmond and some other places. But anyway, that's not here nor there. Um, I haven't had a Bread Bowl in like 30 years. So, And I, I wow. have had a Red Bull recently, but not that recently. No. Oh, me yeah. too. I just had one about 10 minutes ago. So get ready. <laughs> I wish I had had one. I didn't have enough caffeine today. So I'm trying to wake up still. Um, but I took my dog to the vet this week twice. Twice. Twice I left the house this week. Actually, three times I think I left the house this week, which is amazing for me. Um, so I took her to get her stitches out from her paw that she cut. And that went oh. well. And she was a good dog. And then I took her for a wellness check and she tried to bite the vet. So, but I had her, her muzzle on because I knew, and I told him, I was like, this dog is probably going to try to bite you. She's really anxious right now. She's going to be scared and she's going to try to bite you. And he acted, when she tried to bite him, he acted like he had never, like no dog had ever tried to bite him before. He was so shocked. And I'm like, you look like you're in your thirties. You've been a vet for a little while. I'm sure a dog has tried to bite you before. And, and, and also this dog did not actually bite you because she has a muzzle on. And I told you that she was going to probably bite right, you. Right. So what's going on, dude? Anyway, so he wasn't really very happy. It's because him. you were a woman and what you said was right. It's true. <laughs> probably. Yeah. He didn't think that she was going to bite, bite him, but the woman turned out to be right. So he's mad. Right. Yeah. That so, was his I don't shock. Know. So then, then they didn't have records of her immunizations and they didn't have this and they didn't have that. So basically I wasted a trip to the, a $500 trip to the vet for them just to pull um, some blood work, which she had already had done when she cut her paw. So waste time and money. So I'm bummed about that. Um, but other than that, I don't think I did anything this week except work sort of like you. So there you go. Wow. Fascinating. Well, Actually, your vet story, yeah, kind of. It was something. I mean, something happened. You would think a vet would know that a nervous dog might react. I mean, right? Especially when I said so. So, anyway. (laughs) Well, you're not a veterinarian, Julia, so you don't know anything about about animals. Right. Yeah. And then, like, they, they, I wanted them to look at her teeth because I think she needs some dental work done because I think her gums are getting inflamed, and, and he wouldn't even, like, try to look at her teeth. And I had to take pictures of her teeth when I got home and send them into the vet. Oh, cute. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> but I paid $500, and I'm not sure for what. So, yeah. So today, what are we talking about, Theo? Today we are, it's an oldie but a goodie. And also a mistake on both of our parts. That's um, right. We are talking about Rachel Dolezal, who um, is a Caucasian woman who for a number of years represented herself as black and was found out to be white and kind of some of the, the fallout she experienced around that. And so it'll get into race and issues around identity identity concepts etc um or it won't um yeah we'll see we'll see god only knows what's gonna happen (laughs) 
stay tuned to find she, out. She does. God and the vet both know what's going to happen. God and the vet, yeah. Uh, so Rachel Dolezal has actually changed her name uh, since all this hubbub happened in about 2015. And her name now is Nikechi Amare Diallo. And she was born in 1977 in Montana. Uh, she was a blue-eyed blonde child. And her parents adopted three African-American children when she was a teenager and also one Haitian child. Um, in a later interview, Dolezal said that she was punished by skin complexion by her mother and white stepfather. She claimed that her mother and stepfather in South Africa would punish her with what she called a baboon whip, used to ward baboons away in South Africa. These whips would leave scars behind. Quote, they were pretty similar to what was used as whips during slavery, she said. Her mother, however, has said that Rachel never lived in South Africa, was not abused, and does not have a stepfather. So in 2012, I'm sorry, in 2002, Rachel Dolezal unsuccessfully sued Howard University, where she was, I believe, a student at the time, for discrimination based on race, pregnancy, family responsibilities, and gender, as well as retaliation, which is a little bit of everything. Her lawsuit said that she was denied scholarship funds, a teaching assistant position, and other opportunities because she was a white woman. She also alleged that the removal of her artwork from a student exhibition in 2001 was motivated by a discriminatory purpose to favor African-American students over her. So I'm wondering now, since we know what happened to her and that she was discovered to be white when she was trying to, well, thought she was black, um, does she now say that she was not white when she went to Howard and sued as a white woman? I wonder what she would have to say about that. She sort of, does, she doesn't address that specific question but she does um give an answer that you could say all right that covers that question and i will share it with you now no later okay <laughs> later <laughs> in the unfolding all right as we go on so as early as 2009, she began changing her appearance by darkening her skin and perming her hair. When her brother moved in with her in Spokane, Washington, she asked him not to blow her cover since everyone there knew her as black. She actually claimed to be a victim of race-related harassment in 2009 when she claimed that someone left a noose on her porch, but her landlord said it was rope he had used for dressing a deer. In another incident, she found an envelope containing pictures of lynchings in the Spokane NAACP's post box at the local sorting office. Postal workers told police the envelope had never been mailed and had been placed in the box by someone who had a key. According to the Spokesman Review, as of 2015, none of Dolezal's race-related harassment allegations had resulted in an arrest or in the filing of criminal charges. So that's questionable, in my opinion. Yeah. 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 Um, her uncle, Dan Dolezal, has said that his niece first claimed that a black friend named Albert Wilkerson was her real father in 2012 or 2013. In another interview in 2015, she made reference to her stepfather. Dolezal's mother has said she has never met Albert Wilkerson and that Dolezal, again, does not have a stepfather. Following the public controversy surrounding her identity, Dolezal later acknowledged that she had met Wilkerson while living in Idaho and that she considered him her dad. So in her 30s, she became president of the NAACP chapter in Spokane, Washington. Um, she was she was passing as black at the time, um, but it's not the first time a non-black person had been um, a leader at the NAACP chapter, just FYI. Um, she was president from 2014 until 2015 when she resigned after the hubbub that resulted when her parents publicly stated that she was passing as black. So Ruth Ann and Larry Dolezal said that their daughter's biological heritage was not African-American, but German and Czech. Her last name, Dolezal, is Czechoslovakian. 
She said, um, they said their daughter had adopted black siblings and had attended school in Mississippi, where her social circle had primarily been African-American. She later married and subsequently divorced an African-American man. They claim that she began to adapt her appearance following her divorce in 2004. Rachel has wanted to be someone she's not. She's chosen not to just be herself, but to represent herself as an African-American woman or a biracial person, and that's simply not true, Ruth Ann Dolezal said. So I remember reading in the Guardian article, I think from December or February, that when she was married to her first husband, who was African-American, he would give her a hard time for reading black history and, and trying to wear black hairstyles and things like that, and he didn't understand why she wanted to do that, and maybe that's part of the reason that they got divorced, I'm not sure. Um, but then when they got divorced, I guess there was there was no one to stop her. So she continued in her pursuits. Um, she was dismissed in 2015 from her position as an instructor in Africana Studies at Eastern Washington University and was also removed from her post as chair of the Police Ombudsman's Commission in Spokane over a pattern of misconduct. Uh, in 2015, she did acknowledge that she was born white to white parents, but said that she self-identified as black. I was born white, but I have an authentic black identity, she said. When the spokesman review asked Dolezal about her ethnicity, she said, That question is not as easy as it seems. There's a lot of complexities, and I don't know that everyone would understand that. Later, she noted that as a species, we're all from the African continent, which is hilarious. I mean, we might be, but we're not all black. Yeah. In my opinion. It's, it's um, interesting to hear this information I I believe you went to some um, sources from like 2015, 2016, and I have an interview from 2017, um, late 2017. And while a lot of the facts are the same, there, I I can't wait to to share a different share twist. this with you. Not so much a different twist as it is. It's a it's a more forgiving ah, viewpoint. Interesting, right? Yeah, I'm I'm actually really intrigued. As I'm as I'm hearing this information, because the in, in, I mean, mind you, the interview that I read was with Rachel Dolezal, yeah, to explaining everything, yeah. right? This yeah. is after she'd published her memoir, so um, it would be more forgiving, yeah. Oh well, I mean, yes, right? <laughs> yes, of course. So the um, but it, it but it's interesting. It's like as as I hear this, I'm sort of going back and forth on on my stance on this. But okay. Okay, so the Dolezal controversy fueled a national debate in the United States about racial identity. Her critics stated that she committed cultural appropriation and fraud. Dolezal and her defenders asserted that her self-identification is genuine. And in 2017, Dolezal released a memoir on her racial identity entitled In Full Color, Finding My Place in a Black and White World. She allegedly also set up an OnlyFans page to sell pictures of her feet. Oh, that's awesome. That is, that is so great. I think it's fine. Uh, well, I mean, it, one, when I say awesome, it's yeah. not that I love feet. It's awesome <laughs> because good for her for making money. I mean, when all this blew up. Right. She, she didn't have she any other way to make money. So left with nothing. Your feet, right? Go for it. And here's the thing I didn't know, because I remember when the story broke and, uh -huh. and I don't quite recall what all of my opinions were at the time. Mm -hmm. um, we are six, seven years into the future. And, yeah. and I've lived through, um, black lives matter protest and right. the Trump administration. Uh -huh. And I've been able to see how white supremacy really is hard baked into our culture in right. a way that I probably would not have really to, to a, 
a level of appreciation I would not have had in 2015. I see. Right. So cool. Um, and I forgot what I was saying because now I'm in 2015 before COVID. And it's like, oh, God, remember before COVID? Oh. Um, yes. We're and talking about feet pictures. Thank you. Right. And so it threw out. It's funny how we're talking about feet pictures. <laughs> it's a totally normal sentence for us to share with each other. Absolutely. <laughs> it's like. Oh, that reminds me of exactly where I was. Uh, right. So we were talking about feet pictures. And so blah, 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 2015, blah, when everybody was like hating on Rachel. Um, I did not know that she was an artist. Oh, yeah. And I went and looked at this morning some of her artwork because yeah. I tripped over that that little factoid about her. She is a really good artist well you say that but she was accused of plagiarizing uh one of her pieces from a jmw turner piece called the slave ship um and it apparently like her piece is an almost identical copy of the jmw turner piece so i don't know i mean she she did she draw it, takes, it herself it takes some skill to copy a, a, a jmw the turner work piece. Of a i could never do it yeah. so so she may be a very talented artist that's true Let's say I could do it. It would not look the same, but I could yeah, probably right. make my own copy of it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. I couldn't even try. So, yeah, you're right. So, yeah, I, I didn't know that she was an artist. And uh, one of the articles I read said something about how a fountain that she had sculpted in 2005 right. had been sold right. to raise funds for human rights, something, something. And yeah. listen to how dismissive I am to human rights. To human rights, something, something. <laughs> human rights or something. Yeah. Something. I don't know what it is. Um, and I wanted to see it. Like, all right, what's that? What's that sculpture look like of that fountain? And I couldn't find a a picture of the sculpture. But it, it, to be perfectly honest, as I was looking for her artwork and I tripped over some gallery photos, I just got so absorbed in her work that I forgot to look for the stupid. I don't want to say stupid fountain, but I forgot what sent me there. (laughs) Right, right, right. right. Which was human rights something something. Yeah, right. Whatever. So, uh, yeah. How, uh, how would you gifted. characterize her art? Um, so it's it's definitely urban, um, but it's, oh gosh. They're is it representational portraits. or is it abstract? Is it, It's portraits. Oh, sorry. It's it's representational with a, with a bit of abstract uh, in it okay. and um, and a real sense of, of color. She, oh, nice. She just does a beautiful job of using color in her work uh and i would say that they they're quite complex um on the surface they're very simple to painting of a girl standing in a field but then you know the more you look at the more i looked at it the more i was i was drawn into it to the point where i was like i buy one of these how would i how would i get a hold of that right um but I'm not allowed to buy anything ever again because I have a $172.98 smoke box that I bought for Easter and has oh, been used. How did James like that? Well, I loved it. And I know you did. I, I yeah. thought it was a great idea and a great yeah. gift. It was a great idea and a great gift to me that I pretended to give to James. <laughs> um, and, and we used it again last night. And so that oh, means fun. it's on average been used once a month. So that's on like $90 each time. Oh, you're so good at math. That's... <laughs> Yeah. I'm terrible at math. <laughs> and so that, I just have to use it four more times to make it free. To make it free. <laughs> <laughs> but 
But anyway, enough about me and my dumb smoke box. All right. Well, let's talk about Rachel Dolezal some more. So um, after the controversy about her racial identity became public, the NAACP released a statement in support of her leadership. Um, But a petition was circulated to... um, for her to resign, and she did step down from her position at the NAACP uh, in June 2015. So the Inlander, which is a publication that she had contributed to, um, announced that it had cut ties with Dolezal uh, on also in June 2015, saying that they felt manipulated and deceived. And an investigation into her behavior as chair of the Office of the Police Ombudsman Commission in Spokane, I think I mentioned earlier, concluded that she had engaged in a pattern of misconduct, and the city council voted unanimously to remove her from her position as chair. So um, people reacted differently, obviously, to the revelations about her ancestry and uh, her other claims. Her critics, as I said, claimed that she committed cultural appropriation and fraud. Um, Angela Schwendeman, a colleague of hers at Eastern Washington University, uh, expressed her belief that Dolezal perceived herself as black internally and that she was only trying to match how she felt on the inside with her outside. And Cedric Bradley, a colleague of hers at the NAACP, was practical and suggested that he didn't care whether she was black or not. What did matter was her proven track record in social justice work. It's not about black and white, he said. It's about what we can do for the community. So, I agree ahead. with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, to an extent, we'll talk about that later. Um, but the Dolezal case led to a debate in scholarship as to whether transracial identity can be compared to transgender identity. In a March 27, 2017 interview, Dolezal said she identified as trans-black, which is interesting because earlier she had said that she didn't identify as trans-black and she didn't think that was a legitimate um, characterization. So I wonder what happened in the meantime to, um, to change her opinion. Um, Caitlyn Jenner. Well, it could be. When did the whole Caitlyn Jenner thing come out? Um, there's no way to know. Yeah, there's no we way to know. Could never it's find a, that out. It's a mystery. It is lost to time. I'll hit, <laughs> type in was C A I, and Google is totally listening. Wow. To us, um, I don't know when she came out. I guess I should. Just, well, in a February 2017 interview with The Guardian, Dolezal said that race is more fluid than gender because race is an entirely social construct. She said, I feel that I was born with the essential essence of who I am, whether it matches my anatomy and complexion or not. I've never questioned being a girl or a woman, for example, but whiteness has always felt foreign to me for as long as I can remember. I didn't choose to feel this way or be this way. I just am. What other choice is there than to be exactly who we are? Critics took issue with her logic. The Guardian columnist Claire Hines wrote, Dolezal is correct to argue that race is largely a social construct rather than a science, but what defines people of color is a limited ability to control how we are viewed and a lack of freedom to write our own stories. In her memoir, In Full Color, Dolezal said, in order to really move toward what people really think of as some sort of utopian post-racial society, or somehow to really challenge the racial hierarchy, we're going to have to allow some fluidity. I stand unapologetically on the black side of the racial divide with my own internal sense of self and my values, and with my sons and my sister, and with the greater cause of really undoing the myth of white supremacy. If I was allowed a more complex term, I would say that I'm a pan-African, pro-black, bisexual, mother, activist, artist. You know, that's like too long. So trans-black is quicker. Well, to answer that question of when did Caitlyn Jenner come out, that was in April of 2015, so oh, we could say that, yeah, I mean, you know, um, 
I knew that we were going to end up um, mentioning transgender uh-huh. people when we were talking about Rachel Dolezal uh, because of this transracial statement. Right, right. right. Um, and, but it, but I didn't really focus on that too much. I, I think I have an answer that untangles how messy that gets when it's like, well, this person changed their biology because of how they feel on the inside, air quotes around all of that, right? Um, we are, we are strong allies, uh, and we are also learning about, Mm -hmm. uh, LGBTQ plus IA. Notice I can mm-hmm. say all that so easy. Um, <laughs> and so that's not what this uh, this episode will be about, but we may touch upon some some elements of that to contrast it against this idea of race, transracial, um, identity. And so uh, we'll see where we land with all of that. Okay. Okay. Um, so that was uh, 2015, and in 2018... Uh, Dolezal was charged with second-degree perjury and felony theft by welfare fraud by the Washington State Department of Social and Health Services. The charges were filed after it was revealed that she had received nearly $9,000 in food and child care assistance between August 2015 and December 2017. During that time period, she had been receiving tens of thousands of dollars in unreported income, but had told the state that her income was less than $500 a month. So after her book was published, about $85,000 had been deposited into her bank account um, between August 2015 and 2017. Uh, She could have received a sentence of up to 15 years in prison, but she entered into a diversion agreement in 2019, agreeing to repay her assistance benefits and complete 120 hours of community service to avoid a trial. So, I mean, you got to say, this woman is a scammer, I think. She's she's a liar. She's she's got issues with the truth. She's not an honest person, um, and she's had some really problematic behavior in her past, like when she tried to sue Howard University for being racist against white people. That's that's really questionable. And then she goes on to say that she's black herself. Um, mm, I don't know. I, yeah, I I, I I don't know either, right? But also, it's this thing of, um, yes, she was caught in a lie. And yeah. while she has answers for, and and when I hear her speak, um, they sound, I'll say 90%, very logical, right? It's like, I can understand how you ended up in this situation and why you feel the way you feel that this tracks with what you're saying. But then, yeah, there are just all of these uh, things which come up, which it's like, oh, well, that was dishonest and that was dishonest and that was dishonest even outside of her identity things like right right you know uh i get that she's not the first person to i'll say air quotes around rip off the system but you know when you're poor you do whatever it is that you need to do to survive sure. and if that means getting some free extra assistance from the government um great because you know what i still went and trade places with you for that's true you're not you're not really getting some i'm gonna say like you're not really getting some extra benefit and and you are but it's like nobody would want that right no nobody would want to live at such a bare minimum of existence Uh, right uh, rachel dolezal used a term that i've not heard before but made sense to me where she said i've been bred poor all of my life 
what what riches have I earned? I'm paraphrasing. What riches have I earned from all of this? Other than the $85,000 she got from her book and, you know, $85,000, that's a nice chunk of change. But for a lot of people, that's not even a full year's salary. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, I'm just thinking that that was between 2015 and 2017 and divided by two, that would be like a $43,000 annual salary, which is not very much. But on the other hand, there are a lot of people who live on less than that and who don't who don't scam the government. So um, I'm not sure how I feel about it. I I mean, uh, I mean, uh, right. So, again, I'm not saying like that excuses her because other people do it. And I'm not saying that poverty is an excuse for um committing crimes, but Le Mis and Jean Valjean is all I will <laughs> right, say. Right, right, right. Steal right. some bread to but save she, your child. she wasn't in that situation. If, if she had really been poor, then fine, but uh, I don't know that she qualified as actually poor. But then I wasn't in her shoes, so I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know either. Um, and we'll... I mean, we'll say she was selling feet pictures. So she was selling feet pictures. I, mean, I don't know how much point, she made. I don't know. How do you, can you make good money selling feet pictures? I mean, should we sell feet pictures? Oh, my God. We should totally be selling feet, feet pictures now. <laughs> <laughs> it really makes me wonder because you hear about people making a lot of money doing it. They must have really nice feet. I'm just, if that was the road to riches, yeah, we would all have. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so... Uh, has Rachel apologized? Uh, well, you know, no. And when we took up this topic, I think we both assumed that she had. So uh, I, 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 I assumed that she had. and uh, But I ca- came to find out this morning right before we started podcasting that, no, she didn't apologize for anything. She denies that she lied. And she says if people were confused, it was because they didn't ask the right questions. And she absolutely 100% says that she's black. Okay. Well, I mean... Um... Well, I mean, save that one, right? Okay. But, uh, yeah, I'm not lying. You're asking the wrong question. <laughs> Did you murder your wife? Um, <laughs> that's not the question to ask. Right, right. Um, and she goes on to say about how she's always been felt that she's black and she's always seen herself as black and grew up in an all-white town. I mean, how do you see yourself as black if you're a white person living in a white town? So there's an held my finger up <laughs> to you. <laughs> there's an answer to that. Okay. Um, and so, um, let's see. I I yeah. There there's a great answer for that, and it's in the article with the Guardian. Um, so let's look a little bit at Rachel Dolezal, as as we have been right, but. Um, this is more of the sympathetic portrayal of the Rachel Dolezal story, okay. where there are some differences in what we've heard so far and what I'm about to tell you. Okay. Okay. Um, so Dolezal was born at home in 1977 in rural Montana. Uh, she was born to a pair of cr- white Christian fundamentalists named Larry and Ruth Ann, and they wrote Jesus Christ as the witness on her birth certificate. So that's going to tell you right there what her life was like growing up. Um, from a young age, she and her older brother Joshua were put to work on the family homestead, weeding vegetables, getting berries, hunting for elk. And it was pretty much like a little house on the prairie, right? And so you've got these two very 
very devout, what's the word I'm looking, evangelical Christians. Right? Pentecostal, they were. Oh my, I don't know too much about about that, but um, I want to say that's the one with snakes. Um, I, I think some of them are snakes, but not all of them. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but I know this, that uh, could be quite an unforgiving yeah. yoke to toe? No. <laughs> Grow up under? I don't An know. unforgiving regime. Thank you. Yes, yeah, so quite stern, quite stern. Yeah. And so uh, Rachel says, I felt like I was constantly having to atone for some unknown thing. Larry and Ruth Ann would say I was possessed and exercised my demons because I was very creative and that was seen as sensual, which was of the devil. It seems like everything that came naturally, instinctive to me, was wrong. That was literally beaten into us. I had to redeem myself, she says, from being me, and I never felt good enough to be saved. So God hates you. Your parents hate you. You are a channel for Satan's energy with your childish, colorful scrawings, Rachel. Yeah. Um, so her parents then um, adopted four children of color. Three of them were African-American and one was uh, a black Haitian baby. And that happened when she was 15 years old. At that same time, her mom was diagnosed with chronic fatigue syndrome or came down with chronic fatigue syndrome. So all of the child rearing uh, landed in Rachel as the oldest girl in the house. And she uh, absolutely loved her siblings and felt very much like their mother. Their parents adopted these children to help protect unborn babies. So, oh. well, because the the argument is always abortion must exist because not everybody adopts children. So oh. they were adopting children okay. to, to clear that pipeline for more. Unborn, yeah, exactly. <laughs> gotcha. That's, that is how it works. Um, gotcha. And so as the, as her siblings became older, she started to um, witness the racial bias against them and felt very protective of them. Uh, so this is Montana. It's rural Montana. They were probably, I'm imagining, the only people of color within like three states, right? Um, and so she had learned to braid their hair. She taught them black history and she says, a funny thing happened. I began to feel even more connected to blackness myself. I began to see the world through black eyes. So her experience raising her siblings and witnessing the uh, racism they experienced, right, um, made her not only compassionate and empathetic, but, uh, but she really started to clue into what it, according to her, what it must be like to have a lived black experience. So, um, or it was an escape from the Pentecostal experience that, that she had with her parents. Right. Cause it yeah. doesn't sound like they showered her with love um, right. or a love that, that she recognized as yeah. love. Right. Yeah. But she did experience love with her siblings. Yes. Right. And so terrific. Uh, she heard about a Christian community in Jackson, Mississippi, where blacks and white people, blacks and whites people. Yeah, that's exactly who they were. Uh, where blacks and whites pooled their wages together and lived in a more of a harmonious community. And so she went to school near Jackson so that she could experience, went to college near Jackson. So she could get networked into that community and okay. sort of like eh, escape this racist world. 
Um, and when she got to Jackson, she joined the Black Students' Union. And she says, I didn't really feel comfortable around Southern whites because the worldview in the South is just so ingrained. But I felt this huge sense of homecoming with regards to the Black community. On the white side, I noticed hatred, fear, and ignorance. And on the Black side, I noticed fear, anger, and pain. I felt more at home with the anger and pain towards whites because I had some anger and pain toward not just my parents, but also, even though I wouldn't have been able to articulate it then, towards white supremacy. I see. All right. And then, uh, then she says, I unapologetically stood on the black side. I was standing with my convictions, standing also with my siblings, standing with justice. Okay, cool. And you can do that with white skin. Um, not, I don't want to... Um, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. Beat that drum too, too often or also just like, come all down over um, Rachel, because through this article, I, I really understood how she ended up where she ended up, right? Right. So um, so she started to, we'll use the word appropriate black culture. She started to um, play with her hair and, and wear hats. And um, people began to assume from her appearance that she must be of mixed race. And she didn't correct them. Um, she said, I felt like the misperception was maybe that it was biological but I felt what they were perceiving was accurate, right? So I think what she means by that is um, I felt that the misperception was maybe that it was biological, but what they were receiving was accurate. Um, I'm a little confused by that, but it made sense when I read it. Like I, I fully understood that, right? So the So biologically she's white, but what people are perceiving is right. real her, true her. exactly yeah. there we go um right. so she married um a black man while she was in college um and she she says he wanted her to be white he wasn't happy with her black representation he wanted her to have her blonde hair and her white skin now whether or not he wanted to show the world that he was married to a white woman or whether he wanted his wife to be her true authentic self right don't know, can't say. Right. Um, so he was bewildered by her application to study fine art at Howard University. And he asked her, why do you want to go to a black university? But she won a graduate scholarship and a teaching position on the strength of her portfolio and artwork. Um, and she says, if Howard was surprised uh, when she turned up and was white, no one ever said so. The whole, the whole first year, everything was fine. Everyone was cool. But by the end of her first year, she was heavily pregnant, at which point her tutor rescinded her scholarship and teaching position. Oh. She sued Howard for discrimination on the grounds of gender, which makes sense. She was pregnant, and you can only right. be pregnant if you are female yeah. and have a womb, and therefore gender. But then um, also because of race, and she blames her lawyer he latched on, she says, to the fact that her tutor had told her, well, your white relatives can probably pay your tuition. And so oh, wow. that statement there was the thing. The attorney was like, listen, if you want to win this case, the, the gender, I'm speaking for the attorney because I am a, an attorney. Sure. Um, you know, he like, that's just one thing, Rachel, but here we've got two. And you could win on one of them or both on them, right? So 
did she, this is a question from The Guardian, and by the way, I would like to thank The Guardian and Decca Aitkenhead for the Saturday, the 25th, February 2017 article. Uh, it was quite well written. It was very well researched. And I feel like I had a very good sense of what the Rachel Dolezal experience was after after the storm broke and passed for Rachel, right? Because all of this is coming after she wrote her her memoir, right? And so the question is from The Guardian, did she honestly believe she was discriminated against for being white? And she says, I would say the primary discrimination was gender. It sounds bad, right? It sounds like I just played that card for my advantage. But I just knew that if I did not have my scholarship, we were going to lose our apartment and Kevin, her husband, was going to have to drop out of school. Um, so at Howard, she'd been introduced to the idea that racial identity was an invention of human beings, an arbitrary classification devised by colonial whites to justify their power and privilege. And she says, it's socially constructed as a worldview and people operate within it, but that also means that it can be reconstructed or deconstructed. True that. It's an academic argument that is valid. Uh, and she continues... And this was a great awakening for me because it meant I wasn't forced to own whiteness. It wasn't like the honest thing to do is say I'm white because race is a social construct. And this gave me a great sense of internal freedom. I wasn't actually all fucked up. I was actually on to something the whole time. Right? Okay. So again, right, when I listened to Rachel's words, I recognize that is a, a prior name, uh, but um, I'll continue to use that. Uh, so, uh, let's see here. So like, I, I, I get it. I more than get it. Like I can see myself in, in her shoes. I can mm -hmm. see if this was my experience feeling this way. Right. And if this series of events happened in this order, I can see where I would feel safe and I would feel secure in this, I don't want to say new identity, but, uh, in, I get it. I totally more. I more than get it. Um, so newly divorced, she reached a decision for the first time in my life. I really decided consciously to be free from the representation and free from feelings. Like I had to do things in a way that was acceptable to other people. I had the courage to be exactly who I was. And so from that day forward, she presented herself as African-American um, and kind of hardcore, lots of tanning, some skin creams, right? Uh, some, uh, I know what, perming of Please. the hair, right? Yeah. Um, but she was presenting herself as part of the black group, wasn't she? Again, question from the Guardian. Um, I do think a more complex label would be helpful, but we don't really have that vocabulary. I feel like the idea of being trans black would be much more accurate than I'm white because, you know, I'm not white. There is a black side and a white side on all kinds of issues, whether it's political, social, or cultural. There's a perspective, there's a mentality, there's a culture. To say that I'm black is to say, this is how I see the world, this is the philosophy, this is the history, this is what I love, and this is what I honor. Calling myself black feels more accurate than saying that I'm white. So I would disagree. I love that sentiment. I, I get it. I think that's a beautiful state. It's completely not true. I right. Agree. Right. It's it's not because we have the option to exercise white privilege and right. 
can and do, even even without consciously doing it, we reap these benefits. And so, yes. so Rachel, I got to call BS on that. I I get it. I I feel it. I I think it's it's lovely. And for some other things, like being an artist, like oh, I want to be an artist because sure, true, right? But but this is getting into people's lived experiences, and and that's that's a whole other thing. Right. Um, and she seems to want to resign from whiteness because whiteness is problematic. But you can't do that. I mean, and and honestly, I think the more um, admirable thing to do would be to try to change whiteness from within, so to speak, <laughs> than to say, all right, white people suck. I'm not going to be white anymore. Like the log you cabin know. Republicans. So it's like, oh, oh you're God. a gay Republican, but you're trying to change the Republican Party from within. No, that it's, really that's, works. you just want lower taxes. Shut up. <laughs> uh, and you just want to be accepted is what it is. Yeah. Um, okay. So Rachel worked at two universities, one in Idaho and the other in East Washington State. Um, teaching African-American, uh, sorry, teaching African art and African-American art. Um, she became friends with an older civil rights activist who noticed that she was without family and had a young child. And he said to her that um, she could use a dad and her son could use a granddad. So he became her adopted father. Um, then her adopted brother came to live with her and he requested, these are her words, that uh, she be known as his mother, Right. Um, she started to experience, or at least claims that she did, racial harassment. So in 2011, she moved to Spokane, which is like 91% white. Yeah. I know. Hi, I don't know why you would do that. Detroit, maybe? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I can name another. Yeah, <laughs> anywhere. But um, <laughs> I again, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's a f growing up in rural Montana. Maybe uh, that was a more comfortable Familiar, that's the word I'm looking for. Familiar environment. Mountainous, there's trees, right? It's not densely populated. Maybe maybe the option of moving to a place like Detroit would is just off the table because it's too foreign. It's too much of a city, right? Maybe. Maybe. I I don't know. Uh, so anyway, so she moves in 2011 to Spokane um, and she becomes involved with the local chapter of the NAACP, right? Volunteering. And then uh, the Black Lives Matter movement grew and she became more involved in protest and more people started to recognize her and, and know her name. And they persuaded her to run for vacancy um, on the Spokane Police Ombudsman Commission. And so for those of us who did know what an ombudsman is, it's um, they have them in Australia. And it's like a, a legal thing. So if our Australian listeners could just take a pause from your busy life eating kangaroos, I don't know. Shrimp on the Barbie? Kiwi, yeah. Um, <laughs> and just, to, it just, I, whatever, right? So, uh, so we'll say that the ombudsman is sort of um, a representative, uh, clearly, right? But in Australia, for some reason, there's some sort of a paralegal component to it that I, that I don't understand um okay so so she becomes a community representative for in in the police commission right and uh, she won the position she was nominated chair she was elected president of the NAACP Spokane chapter a few months later 
And by 2015, she was not just perceived as black, but black and uppity, and she'd never been happier. Right? Huh. Okay. So, all right, cool. Um, and the Guardian goes on to say, she might still be leading that life today, but in spring of 2015, here's where here's where things get a little different mm-hmm. from, from what we'd heard previously. The Spokane police chief wearied of his troublesome um, ombudsman chair, and Uh-oh. he hired a private investigator to dig around for dirt. Oh, my God. The private investigator knocked on Larry and Ruth Ann's door in Montana, and all it took was a few words and some old family photographs, and the chief was rid of his irritant at a stroke. The press were tipped off, and the Rachel Dolezal race faker story broke, and within days, her whole life was in shambles. Um, The charge that she cheated black people out of opportunities that were rightfully theirs came as a terrible shock to her. All her activist positions, she points out, were unpaid, and her Howard scholarship was neither reserved for black students nor won by false pretenses. She says she has always been breadline poor. Oh, breadline poor, not bread poor. Um, the idea that she got rich by pretending to be black looks absurd to her. Yeah. Uh, see here. I'm just trying I don't to know that anyone is saying that she got rich by being black. Uh, by I, saying that she's I'm sure black. some people are. I listened well, to maybe, a, but a, a I podcast. Think, I don't think that's the question. And you know what? And and fair enough because the opportunities that she took away from uh, people of color may have been opportunities that would have advanced careers. It's not yeah. always about the cash, right? Right. Sometimes it's just about the ga- gaining the, the experience. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, okay. So uh, there's a lot more here. I'm going to skip over some of it because we've covered quite a bit of that bit. Um Let's see. I'm so sorry, everybody. I know it's annoying when it's like I let my notes get away. Um, Okay, cool. So let's go with this. Um, So Rachel Dolezal presents that race is on a spectrum in the same way that we now understand gender to be on a spectrum, right? And, And to make that more clear for people, skin color is on a spectrum. There's all different kinds of shades of people, right? And so we now say that we've got a spectrum for gender. We now have our non-binary category, I guess is the word I'll use, which sounds weird when you have people that don't want to be categorized. (laughs) Um, But okay, cool. That's what we are. So if the the narrative of fluid non-binary gender identity is now widely accepted, Dolezal believes the same should apply to race. It's very similar insofar as this is a category I'm born into, but this is how I really feel. Um, Is racial identity as fluid as gender, the Guardian asks. And Dolezal says, it's more so because it wasn't even biological to begin with. It's always a social construct. We're going to take a quick moment and look at race as a social construct and kind of like, what does this mean? Where does it come from? Why? Right? So um, to preface my following statements, uh, neither, not Juliet and not Theo are experts on race. Um, We are two white people and we acknowledge this gives us a certain amount of privilege to talk about race without having to experience the consequences of racism. Um, We're allies and we're stumbling our way as we learn and we're open to feedback. Um, So race in the dictionary 
a population within a species that is distinct in some way, our concept of race, what, what does race actually mean, our concept conflates biology and culture. So what does that mean? Of course, I'm going to take us back to the 1500s, right? In the 1500s. <laughs> Hi, welcome back. Oh, we were just oh, here. You could get away. Look out, there's a witch. <laughs> Let's talk about her. No. Um, so there was the word race, and race meant like you could have a race of bishops. You could have a, a race of um, sailors, right? But not in terms of skin color. This just meant a collection of things, right? Um, so our concept of race can combines the ideas behind biology and and observations of culture. So during the age of exploration, when white people went out into the world and, and met people of other cultures and other colors, um, we suddenly had to start classifying people. Um, Darwinism gave rise to social Darwinism, this idea that there's a hierarchy of people based on phenotypic, which just means gene expression, uh, characteristics, right? So how you look kind of defines what continent you're from, and that's going to tell us what race you're from. Um, divisions among people that are uh, deep and essentially biologically genetic, unchanging, clear-cut distinctions that um, make it easy to categorize people. Um, our concept of race is simple external differences rooted in biology are somehow linked to complex internal differences like athletic ability and intelligence. Mm -hmm. How does all this come about, right? So um, in 1760, we're out of the 1500s. You're welcome. <laughs> There's a scientist named Carl von uh, Linnaeus, and he came up with a system for categorizing things using Latin terms, right? Um, and it did start, he was a botanist and it, it went with plants and he's the one that came up with kingdom, phylum, chordata. Family. I forget all the others. Thank you. Yeah. And, Class. And every whatever. good boy deserves fudge. That's music. Damn it. Um, <laughs> King Charles something. I don't know. <laughs> I, King Philip. We it doesn't yeah, matter. We could yeah, do yeah. this for 20 minutes. Um, all right, cool. So moving through this quickly, um, he also started to categorize humans by physical traits, um, but he's most well-known for formalizing binomial nomenclature, the modern system of naming organisms, of classifying things. Something is a plant, that plant is a tree, that tree is a cedar, that tree is an eastern woodland cedar. I don't know, I'm making all that up, right? Um, things get ugly in the 1780s with our friend, um, Johann Friedrich Blumenbach. Uh, he established the word Caucasian. Yes, uh, he's, I think he's German. Um, for sure, he's like... Sounds like it. I, I'm going to say he's German. Oh, yeah, because Linnaeus was, was Swiss, right? So these are super, super, super white people. Now, Linnaeus was not all into like the racial stuff. He was just more into like, it's really fun to create categories and subcategories and subcategories and subcategories and then show how they're interrelated and how they branch off, right? I love Kingdom, boxes phylum, class, class, order, family, genus, species. You Googled that. I hate you. No, I didn't. I remember it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, anyway. All right, cool. Um so he, uh, so he's the guy that was like, ah, 
You know what? We've got all these different people on all these different continents, and they all behave in these very distinct and different ways, and they all on these continents share similar traits, and they all look the same. These are races, right? He comes up with the word Caucasian, and he says, um, I have awarded the first place to Caucasians for the reasons given below, which make me esteem it to the primeval one. Basically, what he was saying was that white people were very far removed from animals, and the further down you go on the on the racial hierarchy that he created, the more primitive people become, right? And primitive is bad, sophisticated is good, cultured is good, Questable. white and Western is good, right? Uh, well, this is this is blue and black. Okay. Uh, idea. Right. Yes. Uh, and of course, it catches fire because, wow, this well, is white this, people don't want to be seen as superior. Well, totally. Right. Of course. <laughs> but also it explains everything. Like, why are there people who are different colors and and uh -huh. why are there people who live in in I don't know, houses with fireplaces and other people who live in huts without fireplaces? Right. And that all has to do with their inherent biology, which is. Race. Right. Um, it all comes down to race. So um, genetics and involvement in race. Uh, race is not due to biology. There is no racial gene. Right. And in his book, DNA is not destiny. Um, Stephen Heine. I, okay. When smart people have names, it's just, <laughs> come on. It's not his come fault. On. Put an L in there. Stephen Heinley, let's call him. But it is Heine. Okay. Um, he says, genetics is all about the power of essences. We think essences are immutable, invisible, and eternal. Yet we know they're there. Genes match all the key attributes of essences. Shared essences are what bind people together. Mm. Um, okay, nice statement. Uh, how can we scientifically prove that there is no such thing as, as race? Aside from the fact that um, we can uh, procreate with people of other races, which means that we're all the same species, right? Because you can't father, um, is that the word to use? Anyway, uh, you, you can't create babies with somebody who doesn't belong to your species, right? So scientific lack of evidence. Uh, there is 10 times more genetic difference between fruit flies as a species than there is among human beings. On average, two individuals in Africa are more genetically dissimilar from each other than from an individual in Europe or Asia. It's more about ancestry and gene flow than it is about your geologic physical location. Um, so, all right, cool. That's kind of the biology. And really, it's just like touching it. Um, but this idea that race is a social construct I present to you Mexicans in the United States in ah. 1920 mm. who were considered white in the 1929 census. However, in 1930, they were considered non-white. Why? Because immigration was suddenly a huge concern in the United States. Why? Because we'd had the stock market crash and suddenly resources were more expensive and oh. scarce. So we had to keep people out who were trying to come in and eat all of our precious Doritos. Um, 
Takis. So in the 30s, they were brown for immigration. And then World War II happened. And guess who turned white? Why? Mexicans did. Why did they turn white? I'll tell you why. Because the army was segregated. Oh. And so we needed more of the white soldiers because it was more cost effective because there were more bunks and beds and tents for white people. And I don't know that I'm, I'm as you can tell, I'm extrapolating, right? But I'm, I'm sure th there was a financial reason for that, right? Um, okay, cool. And then how how is race not so much a problem? And, and I think this is obvious, but I, I've read it and I found it interesting. I'm going to share it with you. It will slot it in somewhere, right? Um, so this is a writer who is stating that a friend of hers who is, um, has Central American, Southern European, and West African ancestry is lactose intolerant and that drinking milk products upsets her stomach and she avoids them. Um, and that because of her low dairy intake, She's concerned about calcium levels and and osteoporosis as, as she got older. So she went to see a doctor to get a bone density test, right? I have to avoid um, dairy products. I'm worried about calcium. And her doctor told her she didn't need one because blacks do not get osteoporosis, hmm. Hmm. right? This is hmm. a biological fact rooted in race, which it's not, right? That's completely not true. But, but that's how racism can uh, can affect people's um, health. They aren't given the care they need, right? So uh, she goes on, the writer goes on. Um, I have source notes, and but I forget where I pulled this from. I think it was The Atlantic. Um, and so the writer goes on to say, my friend is not alone. The view that black people don't need a bone density test is a longstanding and common myth. A 2006 study in North Carolina found out that 531 African-American and Euro-American women screamed for bone mineral density. Only 15% were African-American women, despite the fact that African-American women make up almost half of the clinical population. Um, a health fair in Albany, New York in 2000 uh, became the site of, we use the word ruckus, um, when black women were refused free osteoporosis screening. Oh. Because you're black, you don't need it. Wow. Right? Um, and then this little bit was interesting as well. So um, and, and not quite sure where to slot it, but it does get into genetics and then perceptions of, of race, right? So uh, I had never heard of the Wind Tribe of Virginia. No. No, I know. Never. No. Right? Uh, but thankfully, the book... Mongrel Virginians, the Wind Tribe, oh was gosh. published in 1926. Um, and it was a study of a mixed group of people, to use a word, who were white, Indian, and the word at the time was Negro, right? Who for a hundred years had been living in the same rural district. So you had a you had a population that was quite mixed, um, and that some people uh presented quite uh, Anglo, quite Caucasian, but may have had uh, darker skinned parents. And this completely freaked out these uh, these guys who went to study the uh, mongrel Virginians. Oh my God. What a title, Jesus. Um, and so 
uh, taken from the book some statements. Um, he is a typical win, unintelligent and very stubborn. Oh, God. Um, one of the one of the people they were studying was a boy who was seven years old, and he was born with paralysis of both legs below the hip. Um, and the physician states that this was due to a clot of the brain. One girl is a prostitute, and a girl who gets into fights in his uh, deformed feet is a fit case for institutional care, mm. right? And so here you have these white scientists coming in to meet with a group of people, study a group of people who are all mixed races, right? And what they're trying to do is, and they don't even realize that this is what they're trying to do. What they're trying to do is prove that the white is a superior state of being, right? So that of this wind tribe, the people who present most white, you could maybe have them in your house for dinner. Oh my God. Right? And everybody yeah. else, they're all just super fucked up. Um, right. And so you do get to this question of um, what what does Rachel Dolezal get out of giving up whiteness, which is a privilege placed in our society right. to to be uh, to be perceived as black to be black, right? Um, and so, the, and and then we, you know, and 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 then I don't know. Um, and so here's the bit where. It's not that I'm uncomfortable with it. It's just I, I don't like this topic introduced when we're talking about race because I do believe that they are quite separate, right? I think that one is biological and the other one is absolutely a social construct. Um, so is racial identity as fluid as gender to get back to that question where Dolezal says it's more so because it wasn't even biological to begin with. It was always a social construct, right? So uh, again, from The Guardian, Trans commenters have been incensed by the suggestion of parallels. Transgender people transition out of medical necessity, uh, one transgender activist has stated. Dolezal's transition to black, on the other hand, is surrounded by layers of deception. They argue that her color was a choice, so cannot be analogous with uh, gender identity. But if we believe someone born without ovaries or a womb can be a woman and accept racial uh, sorry, and accept radical surgery as a legitimate corrective necessity. Is it so different for a woman who was born white but feels black to reposition herself on the racial spectrum? So I absolutely hate that sentence. I, I don't like anything about that at all. I think the idea of radical surgery is, and if that's a medical term, um, I would have liked some some explanations as to uh, some of the word choices in there, right? Mm -hmm. Parathetical statement, whatever, like radical surgery, medical term. Um, so according to Dolezal, some trans people saw no difference between her sense of identity and theirs. One group printed up transracial t-shirts and center one uh, last. Uh, so in 2016, Roger Brubaker, a professor of sociology at the University of California, drew similar parallels in his book, trans colon gender and race in an age of unsettled identities. Um. I'm going to say, remember when I said, like, I have this thing that untangles all that? Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm going to say that uh, absolutely, given that both gender and race are social constructs, cool. Um, but I do believe that there is a biological... I don't... Component? Uh, 
driver, I suppose, uh, okay. in, in terms of gender identity. Uh-huh. I, do I know what it is? No. Um, but, but I, I do think so. Um, it, it definitely, I don't want to say it feels true because that's not a scientific argument you can make. I feel like the earth is round. Um, but, but I will say that I do think there are some biological drivers to, uh, gender that, or maybe gender is the wrong word, sex is the wrong word, but, but yes, I do feel like transgender is rooted in biology and um, race is not. And so for me, that's the thing that I can use to, to separate these two. You mean, um, are you saying that people who are transgender are genetically the gender they want to be? I do. Um, and I mean, do I, and that's, a, that's a whole different conversation and one that I don't have anything to back up beyond um, that sort of where I would come to because this whole Rachel Dolezal thing um, with, oh, the friends that she lied to about who she is. She's a white woman who's presenting as black, right? Well, plenty of gay people pretend to be straight for a very long time until they actually come out, right? Different, same, yes, no. And um, being gay and choosing to be gay, I don't know, because there is a spectrum and there are bisexual people who can choose not to have sex with the other gender, but can right. still be sexually attracted to them. Okay, great. Um, for me, there was no choice. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, um, I do, uh, it's more than I do understand why uh, trans is a part of the alphabet mafia, right? Right. Um, so, so yes, so on, on that front, in the same way that I think that being gay has some biological drivers, um, uh -huh. and uh, in my own theory, maybe a form of autism. Look at that. Interesting. Uh, yes, maybe. Who knows? Um, that, and it's not really my theory. It's just kind of like, mm, it could be that. Um, it, uh, where am I going with that? I'll say that, like, I do see them as two separate things, but I also understand we get down to identity and representation and how one feels about oneself. And, and absolutely, we all have the right to live our own lives. And if Ms. Dolenzall, or um, by her new name now, and I, I get that she's kind of done with all this and has moved on. So I'm not going to drag her down. There's no reason to keep beating her up about it, um, other than this podcast. Um, yeah, I I don't know, right? Uh, or or I do know. It's like when I heard your your what you had found, right? I take. I was like, wow. All right. Yeah. She is a liar and she is disingenuous and she is problematic and she might be a con woman. Uh, and then reading this and I mean, mind you, she's had two years to work through things and build an argument that's more sound. Um, it does take time to process things. Right. And so am I am I disbelieving her because of the race thing? Am I like, you're a racial traitor to the white people? Is that even like a part of it for me that I'm unaware of? I, I, I don't know. Um, so, so what do we do with somebody who completely 
um, misrepresents who they are when they feel like they're showing you their true authentic self. Uh, right. And then right. Uh, should she apologize since she did not apologize, right? Or is her, right. or how do we rate her non-apology? And it comes down to how much of a story do you believe? Right. I, I, I don't think that she had, I think her, well, I don't know, actually. I was going to say I think her heart was in the right place, but I'm not sure that it was. I'm not sure that she wasn't self-serving throughout this whole thing. And um, when she said things like, um, I forgot what it was that she said now, something about um, having being poor and having to take this money from the government and all this sort of thing. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't think, I forget what I was going to say, but I don't think, I think she was self-serving throughout the whole thing and dishonest with herself and dishonest with other people. And I, I don't know if it's possible I would to agree with that. I don't know if it's possible to consider yourself and have other people consider you as an authentic black person. If you're a white person, I don't know if that would ever be possible. I I'm not going to make a statement on that because I don't know, but I think it's very unlikely. And I think it's probably part of white supremacy um, to try and, Oh yeah. To try and, co-opt the black experience for yourself as a white person there are those white supremacists out there who would tell you that oh look here's a white person who masqueraded as a black person who became president of the naacp it proves white superiority right so on on some level that i'm but those people can take anything and and flip it so that it supports their viewpoint right so yeah i'll say um since since you're, I mean, a rating, um, uh, 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 I'm going to say, will I say props? Oh, my God. Yes, I will. I'll say props <laughs> to her for not apologizing and standing in her convictions. Uh, the question becomes, is she telling the truth at, or do you? Do you believe her? Is she telling the truth? Do you believe her? It's the same thing, Theo. Why did I have to go that way? But, but well, okay. So is she telling the truth that she believes? Is, does she believe this or is she being disingenuous, right? Is, is she a con woman or is she misunderstood? And I, I can't say one way or, or the other. Um, I think it's a shame that all the good that she did has been discredited. Um, yeah. I think that it creates um, an opportunity for dialogue in a way around race that that we didn't have before it does highlight the social constructivism of the idea of race mm-hmm. um so so yeah i don't know i mean uh, could i give it a five and just be like there you can give it a five you can give it whatever you want <laughs> i i mean i i feel for her i i really do i think she's been put through the ringer um I don't think she came to it from bad intentions and I could go on and on and on and never get to a point where, mm-hmm. where I can like say, to, like, would I trust her to babysit? <laughs> maybe not. Maybe not. And not that she's bad with children or whatever. It's just like, do I trust her? That's really what it is. And the answer is kind of no. Right. Um, but do I do I feel for her and do I, well, I'd love to believe her is what it is. I would love to believe it. I just I just don't know. Yeah, yeah. Too many other things. I think she's just self-serving, and that's why I'm going to give it a zero because I, I'm I'm 
I'm coming down on the harsh end of the stick, <laughs> so to speak. Okay. And uh, I'm saying that she's uh, self-serving, whether intentionally or not, but uh, at least partially intentionally. Um, she she knows that she's not black, and that her claims of being black are inauthentic. Um, she cannot consider herself to be the same as a person who's a black person who has raised a black person in society. She did not experience any of that. Right. Any, any of that oppression that, um, and she could tomorrow decide to be white again and uh, not and not experience any kind of oppression or, or racism. So I'm just saying that she gets a zero for for her, her inauthenticity and falseness. All right, cool. And I'll give her a five because I think it all came from a, a genuine place and and a feel. But at the same time, it's like, I don't trust you and I, I don't know why. Um, <laughs> but you won't let her babysit your kids. Y- yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. That's there it. we go. Um, do you have a who's sorry now or an apology expected? I have a who's sorry now. And uh, okay. no, I lied. I have an apology expected. Okay. Um, and so uh, I don't think we're going to be getting it. And this dates from April 27th of 2001. Um, a telemedicine company in Nashville fired its CEO after he was caught ridiculing a teenage boy who was wearing a dress to his prom. Um, the company is Visuel, and they let Sam Johnson go um, when a video was released that was filmed by, uh, oh gosh, I forget I forget the kids' names, but they were like 17. They were at their high school prom. Um, one of the guys was wearing a dress. He was there with his boyfriend, and the boyfriend recorded this guy in his 40s coming over to them and smiling in that way that's threatening and getting into their space in that way that's threatening and having that whole attitude of what am i doing that's wrong that you don't like right um and admittedly they were kids and so they were rather loud and they were at their uh, graduation party at a hotel and this guy was having dinner with his family and he says that the Kids were rude and vulgar and and not mimicking, but whatever, like sex acts, right? And just being loud. And so he went over to ask him to be quiet and that things got ugly. Um, do you ever see that video of that guy, sort of Trump time, uh, where he's in Costco in Florida and he goes no. up to this, oh, it's so, it's so threatening, just the way he walks up to this guy. This guy's got the same demeanor, right? Yeah, okay. Where it's just this, threat that that you know if you even just move the wrong way this guy is going to get violent right yeah so that was the vibe off of this guy um well kathy griffin recently picked that video up and tweeted it and he is now suing her for making the vi the thing go viral and getting him fired good luck to him yeah so that's or bad luck to him really well It'll, Glad he got fired. It'll be a, a thing. And I do expect that he will be issuing an apology at some future point because he's going to need a job. Yeah, for real. Huh. Kathy Griffin's still doing her thing? Kathy Griffin is still, you mean, is she still doing comedy? Yeah. Yeah. Or still doing, does she have a TV show? Didn't she have her own TV show at one point? No, she's still sort of like, uh, box office poison in Hollywood. Uh, They're not going to touch her, but it's fine because you know what? She's here. Listen listen to me defend Kathy Griffin. It's fine. (laughs) She doesn't need them. Um, (laughs) 
She's been um, releasing her own videos and Good. making money. And I mean, you know, it also plays to cause the, the whole Kathy Griffin persona is she's the the outsider who desperately wants to be a part of Hollywood. Right. Right. She's the person who's working. And I knew people like this work at a valet or work yeah. as a valet so they could park cars and maybe, maybe meet a fancy meet movie somebody. star. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. So this plays to that. Hollywood's right. still excluding her. She's still, she's not even on the D list anymore. What about you? Who's sorry now or apology expected? Uh, apology expected. Um, the New York Times said that Trump, Trump, Trump or Carlson, Tucker Carlson. <laughs> same, same fucking same thing. thing. Tucker Carlson had privately mocked Donald Trump and also criticized him for breaking campaign promises on air. And on at least one occasion declined a call from the former president who called to preempt criticism of, of a foreign policy move. So I bet Carlson is going to apologize for mocking Donald Trump. That's that's my apology expected. All taken out of context. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, these people. Unbelievable. Well, on that note. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to us ramble on for yet another hour or two. Uh, we will be back next week with a surprise uh, topic. And uh, we will see you then. Bye. Bye. listening to Apologies Accepted, the podcast. You can find links to the articles and the sources in the show notes. To submit an apology or find out more, visit us at ApologiesAccepted.net, where you can also find our merchandise. We're on Twitter at Apologies Accepted. And on Instagram at Apologies.Accepted. You can support our important work at Patreon forward slash Apologies Accepted. And fuck Facebook. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>